we got another day of NBA action. So it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Everyone, it's Andrew Claven with this week's interview with constitutional lawyer Alan Dershowitz. Uh, he's got a new book out called The War Against the Jews, How to End Hamas Barbarism. Uh, in these last few months since the savage October 7th attack on Israel by the monsters of Hamas, we've seen almost amazingly an upsurge in anti-Semitism throughout the West, including here in America, especially in leftist enclaves like college campuses and the news media. This didn't take me by surprise, I have to say. My first novel was published in 1980, and I remember a line in it in which I referred to a generation of holiday Jews, by which I meant the Jews that came in the generation after the Holocaust when a sense of shame had been awakened in people so that anti-Semitic remarks and attitudes became unacceptable in polite company. I called them holiday Jews because I knew the holiday would end. And the reason I believe that is I believe that uh, hatred of the Jews is a religi- religious issue everywhere and always, that it uh, arises from a hatred of the biblical God who became the West God through Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think that uh, that God with his heart for the downtrodden and his care for women and his insistence on humility uh, shines a light on human evil and people hate him and they hate the Jews for writing about him and having him and revealing him to the nations. Now, I suspect that uh, Alan Dershowitz disagrees with some of that, but I have to say throughout these Latter days of censorship and cancellation and the Trump derangement syndrome, uh, Allen has remained insistently a voice for free speech, for constitutional norms, and civilized disagreement. So I do disagree with him on a lot of issues, but I'm always happy to bring him on and talk to him. And I'd like to talk to him today about the war against the Jews, how to end Hamas barbarism. Allen, thank you for coming on. It's good to see you again. Well, thanks for having me. You know, I, on October 7th, it was a Saturday. I generally don't work on Saturday. But as soon as I heard the horrible news, I decided to drop everything, call my publisher and say to him that I really want to write a book about this. He said, well, we don't know how long this will last. Can you get it to me in 30 days? And I said, yeah, I can. I got it to him in 30 days. And within a couple of weeks after that, hmm. he published it. Um, it's Sky, Sky Horse Publishing. And they have this incredible ability to get books out quickly. So in less than two months from October 7th, uh, the book was in hardcover form. It may get into the Guinness Book of Records. <laughs> book ever published since since the good Lord gave Moses the Ten Commandments on top of Sinai. <laughs> I'm not making any comparisons, but um, certainly in terms of speed. Uh, look, it took me 70 years to write this book, not not 30 days. I've been thinking about these issues writing about them, talking about them, uh, basically since 1948, since I was a 10-year-old kid. And my counselor in camp was Noam Chomsky, ah. who at the time was a strong Zionist, a member of Hashoma Hatzair, the left-wing Zionist group. Now he's obviously an anti-Zionist. So I noticed you call this book uh, the, the War Against the Jews, which is also the name of a famous book by a historian named uh, Lucy right. Davidovitz, 
who, who makes the argument uh, that Hitler, it was more important to Hitler to kill Jews than it was to win the war, essentially. Why did you choose that name? I mean, that's a pretty essential Holocaust reference book. Why did you choose that name here? Well, I started it as the war against Israel. And then it became clear to me that it was beyond Israel. And by the way, that prediction came true just now when we discovered Hamas sending its agents to Europe to try to blow up synagogues. Now, the synagogues are in Israel. For all we know, some of the people in the synagogues are anti-Zionists, just like some of the people who were killed on October 7th were very strident opponents of Israel. Uh, Some of them were anti-Zionists. Some of them were Zionists, whoever, were very strongly opposed to the current government, strongly opposed to Netanyahu, strongly opposed to many of Israelis' uh, policies. But Hamas made no distinction. If you're a Jew, uh, you're a target. And of course, the Hamas charter talks about Jews, not about Israelis. Uh, and, and, And so I decided really it was war. If I had to write it again today, I might have changed it to the war against Western civilization mm. because um, if if Hamas is not defeated uh, in the Middle East, it's coming to a theater near you. Um, this is a worldwide effort. Hamas is becoming much more like ISIS and Al-Qaeda, uh, like 9-11. And it wouldn't surprise me, and it wouldn't surprise the head of the FBI who made a statement recently about that, that uh, this kind of Hamas terrorism is going to result either in copycat crimes uh, around the world or in Hamas expanding the way ISIS and al-Qaeda did uh, their territorial goals. Uh, Remember, too, that Iran, which is behind all of this, it is the evildoer of the world today. It is the Nazis. Um, They regard Israel as only the little devil and America as the big devil. And so uh, when they send their proxies uh, to kill people in Israel as they did with Hamas, it's not going to be a long step for them to send their proxies to start killing people in, in Berlin and in Paris and in New York and in Chicago. You know, the atrocities that were committed in Israel were so bad. You quote our own uh, Ben Shapiro in the book talking about the fact that no matter what happened to most of us, we wouldn't do the things that Hamas right. did on October 7th, a, a really uh, insightful point. You also, you warmed my old uh, English major heart by quoting John Milton, uh, his description of Samson as being eyeless in Gaza, blind in Gaza. And you can't help when you hear that phrase, but think of the the queers for Palestine and the feminists for Palestine, and even the Jews for Palestine, who seem to be endorsing uh, a place and a philosophy and a people who would happily wipe them off the face of the earth if they ever were to arrive in there anywhere near them. How do you account for that? They hate Jews more than they like themselves. I mean, the idea of feminists for rape, which is what the Me Too movement should call itself now, feminists for rape, uh, what the National Lawyers Guild should call itself, progressive for pogroms. Um, I mean, these people have no shame. Their hatred for Israel, for America, for the Judeo-Christian uh, tradition uh, is so deep that they're willing to forget their own interests. My son, who's very clever, said he wants to have birthright for Gaza, in which all these people can go to Gaza and we'll pay for it because it'll be cheap. All you need is a one-way ticket. None of them get out alive. Uh, It is absolutely remarkable. I have friends whose children 
are feminists, and they are refusing to believe that there were rapes, even though the evidence is so overwhelming. When it comes to an ordinary, there's no such thing as an ordinary rape, but a horrible rape in, in, in America, if, if a woman says yes, and there are 10 witnesses who say no, they say, no, believe the woman, even though she has no corroborating evidence whatsoever. But in this case, where you have videotapes, where you have eyewitness testimony, where you have forensic evidence that proves it beyond any doubt, enough to convict anybody in any court of law, many of them are still saying, well, we haven't seen the smoking gun. Yeah, because the people who were raped were murdered and they can't be witnesses. And the same thing is probably true of some of the hostages who are being raped as we speak. But you cannot get feminist groups to speak out against these rapes, these beheadings, the burning of babies. Uh, you can get them to speak out against the microaggression. You know, they fired Lawrence Summons, the president of Harvard, because he dared to suggest there may be some genetic differences between men and women when it comes to the ability to do physics and math. My wife, who's a PhD neuropsychologist, says she thinks there are, and there are some uh, biological differences that also make women better in certain subjects than others. You know, men and women are different. Uh, but for saying that, for even suggesting it, Summers gets fired. He, as the president of Harvard, but then the new president of Harvard says, well, but free speech, we can't condemn people who call for genocide against the Jews. That would be against our, our rules. You can fire a president. You can rescind admission letters if somebody said something that might be interpreted as negative toward a protected minority. You know, Jews are today exempted from DEI, the, you know, programs that are now being used, diversity, equity, and inclusion, which are the opposite of diversity. They are only skin color diversity and they're not ideological diversity. Equity is the opposite of equality and inclusion explicitly excludes Jews. And so these have become the 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 hotbeds of anti-Semitism. Uh, and, and, you know, it's not enough to get a president of Penn to resign. We have to dismantle these DEI programs because they are the end of education, uh, the end of e a real equality, the end of Martin Luther King's dream, and, and the end of a situation where Jews are treated equally on campus. Jews are regarded as the oppressors, Palestinians as the oppressed under the DEI uh, program. And the oppressor can do no right, and the oppressed can do no wrong. You know, a friend of mine who's a, a, a college professor at Hillsdale actually wrote you a letter, which he cc'd to me, saying to you, will you not understand that the Democratic Party, you've been a lifelong liberal. The last time we talked, uh, you uh, said you remained a liberal person, or you remained a person of the left. And he was saying, to, he wanted to say to you, do you not see that the party that you belong to all these years is gone? Is there something... <laughs> Yeah. Is there something inherent in the philosophy of the left that leads to this moment? I know we have anti-Semites on the right. I no way deny okay. it. But we do kind of shovel them off to the side. We do kind of reject them. Uh, and Look, yeah. Bill Buckley did a great service to the yes. conservative movement when he called out Pat Buchanan. And he was one of the first to do that. And I wish the Democrats would do that to the squad. Look, I am a liberal, a civil libertarian, a libertarian I have never been a person of the left. Um, now, I'm kind of, some of my philosophy 
has been adopted by the left. I, but they're mostly libertarian philosophies. A woman should have control over her, her body with abortion. Um, I, 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 I don't believe that there, is a, there should be a constitutional right to own atomic weapons and cannons and AR. You know, uh, I do believe uh, in, in, in trying to create a, a safety net for poor people when it comes to medical care. So there are a few of the philosophies I have that kind of are the same as people on the left, but I'm not, I've never been a person of, of the left. I've always been an anti-communist, anti-socialist. Um, I was a New Dealer. Um, you know, I'm a Clinton Democrat, uh, Ted Kennedy Democrat, a Scoop Jackson Democrat. I've never been a, you know, Bernie Sanders Democrat. I can tell you the best way to make me a Republican, nominate Sanders to be president. I'll vote against him. Nominate anybody in the squad. I have offered to help finance any candidate who runs against anybody in the squad. By the way, I will now extend that to anybody who runs against Stephen Cohen, uh, the, the, the Jewish senator from, I think, Tennessee, uh, and Jamie Raskin, my former student, the congressman from Maryland. Uh, these are people who use their Jewishness as a cover, basically, to call for a victory of Hamas. They both called for ceasefires. Uh, ceasefires means a unilateral surrender. It means that it'll happen again and again and again. Don't believe me. That's what Hamas says. It'll happen again and again and again because Hamas has a strategy. It's worked. And why abandon it if it's worked? Strategy is simple. Kill as many Israeli and Jewish civilians as you can. Know that Israel will have to try to take out your tunnels, your rockets, and your commanders. So hide them among civilians. Know that civilians will die, not deliberately, but as collateral damage. Be ready to carry these dead babies out to CNN and the New York Times. They will ignorantly show the dead babies without explaining the context. You know, it would be, here's my analogy that I always use. I decide to go rob a bank and the police come in. And I'm shooting the bank up, I'm killing tellers, I'm killing customers, and I grab you as a hostage, and I start shooting from behind you, I'm continuing to kill people. And the policemen try their best to take aim to kill me, but instead they accidentally kill you. Who is legally responsible, morally responsible? Not the person who pulled the trigger and who sent the bullet into the heart of you, the victim, but me, I'm the one who's responsible, I'm the hostage taker. And the analogy is perfect for the IDF. The IDF tries so hard to get only the terrorists, but the terrorists use babies as hostages. You know, in my book, the back cover, I don't know if you can see yeah. it clearly enough, back cover shows a cartoon that I found on the internet. I don't know who did it. I tried to trace it, but I couldn't find who did it. And it shows an Israeli soldier um, uh, 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 standing in front of a baby carriage, protecting the baby carriage, and the Hamas fighter standing behind his baby carriage, using the baby to protect him. And, you know, that's been the, the, the common theme. Yeah. And, and that's going to continue because it works. It works. It's like the, the shampoo bottle we all have. Wash, rinse, repeat. Right. Wash, rinse, repeat. And that's going to keep happening unless Hamas is destroyed. And there's one more myth. The myth is you can't wipe out an ideology if you kill its leaders. Duh. What happened with Nazism? We killed the leaders. We wiped out the ideology. What happened to Japanese imperialism? We killed and imprisoned the leaders and we destroyed the philosophy and the ideology and the German people. 
And the Japanese people thanked us for it. We rebuilt Germany through the Marshall Plan. We rebuilt Japan. And now they have become our strongest allies. That could conceivably happen in the Middle East if Hamas is destroyed. And if the people of Gaza allow the European community and the United States to rebuild it, like the Marshall Plan rebuilt Germany, we could have an ally there. Maybe there'd be an opportunity for a two-state solution, which is very unlikely under the current circumstances. The president of Israel, Isaac Herzog, an old friend of mine, who has been a strong supporter of the two-state solution, the other day announced that this is not the time for that. This is the time, as Ecclesiastes says, to everything this season. This is the time for destroying Hamas, just as 1945 was the time for destroying Nazism. The Marshall Plan comes afterward. You know, you mentioned Bernie Sanders, but for, for me, and I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, this is just me speaking, Barack Obama was, I think, one of the most sinister politicians we've ever had, and a, I believe a deep anti-Semite, a, a man who actually thought that he would be helping the situation in the Middle East by strengthening Iran, who, as you say, are the Nazis. They're just, you know, they're just Nazis in another, uh, in another form of dress. How do you feel about that? I mean, you you excoriated Obama recently, but it seems to me that this is part of a philosophy that he represents. It's not just animus. It's not just personal animus. He is actually uh, at least the tool of a philosophy. I agree with that. Okay. Uh, look, he's disappointed me enormously. I knew him as Barry Obama when he was a student at Harvard, and he used to hang out in front of my office a lot because his mentor was Charles Ogletree, a great, great professor who recently died. And so I got to know him. I got to know Michelle Robinson, who was his wife. I didn't even know they had gotten married until I met them both on the vineyard together. And, uh, you know, he invited me to the White House and he invited me to events. And uh, I, I, I thought I, I respected him. I voted for him twice. I'm proud of my first vote. I'm ashamed of my second mm -hmm. vote. I should never have voted for him for re-election. I should have voted for Mitt Romney, who's a much more decent man. Um, and I wish I had done that, but I didn't. Um, and he, you know, what, what's happened is he had a lot of influences on his life. One of them was the Reverend Wright, who was a vicious anti-Semite. But others were people who, like, like Newton Minow, uh, who was a great man, a Jew, a Democrat, uh, a, a liberal. Uh, and, and he has been influenced by different people over his lifetime and over different courses of his life. He's done different things. When he wanted to be president, he, he emphasized the Newton Minow good part of him and de-emphasized the Reverend Wright bad part of him. I think once he stopped being president, he's turned into Reverend Wright in some ways. And uh, I don't admire him at all. Uh, I think his second term was a disaster in terms of foreign policy. He called me into the Oval Office on the eve of the election, the second election. And he said to me, Alan, you've known me for a long time. You know I would never deceive you. I have Israel's back. I didn't realize he meant to point the target on. <laughs> and yeah. he was about to leave office. He allowed the United States to vote for a resolution or abstain, but not, not veto a resolution that declared the Western Wall to be occupied, unlawfully occupied territory, the access roads to Hebrew University and Hadassah Hospital. And then he, he made a statement more recently, the one that caused me to really go after him, in which he basically compared what Hamas did 
with Israel's responses. And look, America's responses were exactly what Israel's responses were to 9-11. Uh, America vowed to destroy al-Qaeda and, 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 and the Taliban, and you know, we succeeded to a degree. Uh, and uh, many, many, many more civilians were killed. Uh, and yet, people like Norman Finkelstein and others insist on calling what Israel is doing genocide. By doing that, they basically diminish the meaning of genocide. Genocide was a word coined by a Jewish Polish lawyer in 1944 to describe the Holocaust. And when you say that Israel's actions in self-defense are genocide, basically you're a Holocaust denier. You're saying, oh, Israel uh, is doing the same what Nazi Germany did. So there probably were not any gas chambers. There were no killing fields. There were no six million Jews who were killed. It's a form of Holocaust denial to accuse Israel today of, of genocide. And, and no decent person should, should do that. You know, there's a lot of language like that, uh, accusing Israel of apartheid, accusing them of colonialism, which is kind of a, a laugh. Um, how do you combat myths like that? It's not easy because uh, there has never been a less well-educated generation than the current generation of college students. Um, and, uh, you know, they did a survey. Uh, they asked people who were protesting, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free of Jews. Palestine, from the river to the sea. And they asked them, what river, what sea? They didn't know. They had no idea. <laughs> These are a bunch of ignoramuses uh, and, and, and useful idiots. Um, they just, if it's left, it must be correct. If it's right, it must be wrong. We'll follow you no matter where you take us. And we now know that a lot of these demonstrations were supported by the former people who were formerly known as communists. Now you can't use that term anymore because you don't have a government to back you up uh, like in Russia. But these are people from the hard, hard Stalinist left uh, that are organizing these protests. They were the people who organized Wall Street, Occupy Wall Street. They were the people who organized the National Lawyers Guild. National Lawyers Guild, on October 8th, on October 8th, the blood wasn't even dry. It said this was a glorious military uh, operation uh, consistent with the rules of law. Um, no condemnation to this day of rape, of beheadings, uh, or anything like that. Uh, and they continued to uh, blame Israel for everything, just like the 33 groups at Harvard. And then you have President Gay of Harvard, who, who came, who, whose whole life has been based on the DEI movement, DEI movement. Um, and, and the DEI movement just divides the world into oppressors and oppressed and, and, and divides university campuses along racial lines. Uh, she may succeed in destroying a three more hundred year, over a 300 year legacy of Harvard. Harvard is no longer a first-rate institution of learning, I have to tell you. Um, it has become a propaganda mill. Uh, you can still get a good education if you major in STEM, science, technology, engineering, and math. But don't go near the political science department or the history department in, 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 or, or the college. I went to Brooklyn College, which used to have a superb political science department. Uh, today, it's, it's absurd. We're City College of New York, where the entire faculty of the law school, not even a single percent of the entire faculty of the law school voted to divest and to boycott one country in the world. No, it wasn't Iran. No, it wasn't Cuba. No, it wasn't China. It was Israel. And that's the City University of New York Law School, one of the worst law schools in the country. But nonetheless, it has the name City University. So people think 
it's decent. And these poor kids that go there aren't being educated. They don't know anything about criminal law, constitutional or torts. All they know is about colonialism and settlers and uh, that kind of nonsense. Not going to get them a job in, in a good law firm. And don't. And if you're represented by them or represented by anybody in the National Lawyers Guild, you have to ask yourself, do you really want to be represented by somebody who supports right? Would you be happy being represented by a member of the Klan who supported lynchings? Because that's what happened on, on October 7th. It was a mass lynching of 1,200 Jews and the mass kidnapping it. And uh, there are great tragedies that resulted from it, family tragedies. And the worst tragedies also occurred in Gaza because they knew, Hamas knew they were signing the death sentence of many, many Gazan civilians when they initiated this process by which they knew Israel would have to respond and many Gazans would die in the process. You end this book, we're talking to Alan Dershowitz about his new book, The War Against the Jews. You end this book with a description of your meeting with Bibi Netanyahu. Before this happened, obviously, there was a big to-do over an attempt to reform the Supreme Court, which has a, a lot more power in Israel than our Supreme Court even has here, sort of almost a random power to strike down laws. Where, where is the country now? I mean, I guess the, the two things that I'm wondering about is, one, this a division, this political division, um, but also the, the idea that somehow the leadership of the country allowed this to happen. Uh, the leadership of the country didn't see this coming. Yeah. Uh, somebody's going to be held to account for that. What do you, what do you see in the future uh, for Israel? Well, I had dinner with Bibi and Sarah Netanyahu, my wife and I, uh, eight days before this happened, the mm. Friday night, a week later, the Saturday morning, this all happened. So it was, you know, seven days and a few hours earlier. And we had a three hour dinner and much of it was devoted to the judicial reform, which was then in the news before this happened. And I had come up with some ideas for a compromise and BB seemed to be accepting of some of those ideas. And I've also been speaking to people on the left who were accepting. And I've also speaking to President Isaac Herzog, by the way, who, who read my book after these events occurred. He was so busy, but he read my book and gave me an endorsement. As always, Professor Dershowitz presents a compelling case in defense of the state of Israel and voices the truth about the atrocities that were committed out by Hamas. That's the president of Israel. Busy guy wrote an endorsement for this book, which I was so proud of. I've known him for a long, long, long time. Look, Israel will never be the same. Um, Netanyahu's legacy will never be the same. There will be a commission report with former justices of the Supreme Court and former deans and others and heads of uh, organizations that will look into the two things. Uh, One, the intelligence failure. Uh, Any country can have an intelligence failure. But to me, the most bizarre thing was the failure to respond once the horrors occurred took them so many hours to get their troops into the areas near Gaza. I mean, there was a general who got a call, a retired general got a call from his family saying, we're hiding out from these terrorists. What can you do? He got into his car with a gun and he got down there and he shot the terrorists and saved his family before the Israeli army could get down there, driving an ordinary car. What happened to the helicopters? What happened to the jets? What happened? You know, the, the, the operational failure was even harder to explain than the intelligence failure. We'll hear a lot about that, and there'll be an honest report, and it will change the careers of many people 
just the way the report after this 1973 war changed the legacy of Golda Meir. Well, do you think that the Israelis will defeat Hamas? Do you think they'll destroy Hamas? I think they will They will give them a very, very serious uh, wound. Um, but um, unless, um, if America left them alone yeah. for another couple of months, I think they could destroy Hamas. But if America puts restrictions on them, and Jake Sullivan went to uh, the Middle East to put restrictions on uh, Israel, then um, it's going to be harder. There'll be a partial victory, and a partial victory is not enough. You need a total victory. Imagine if the United States uh, and England had decided to have a ceasefire as they were entering Berlin because they didn't want to kill too many German civilians. Uh, Hitler would still have stayed in power. Uh, Hitler committed suicide only after it was very clear that they'd be, as Churchill and, and, and Roosevelt said, total victory, unconditional surrender, that's what has to happen with Hamas, and I'm afraid the United States might not let them happen. I, I, might not I, I, I got the feeling Bibi told him to pounce. <laughs> you know, Blinken came back with a look on his face like he'd been smacked uh, and, yeah. and sort of backed down. But there's so much that Bibi can say because, you know, the, the United States needs to provide um, uh, weapons. Now, you know, the, there are two things that are so hypocritical. Number one, the United States said they should use more smart bombs. Well, give them the smart bombs. Mm. Right now, they're short of ammunition, and so they may have to use dumb bombs because they don't have enough smart bombs. And then the other thing that upsets me is that they're now saying that Bibi Netanyahu provided too much humanitarian aid to Gaza in the run-up to this war. Now they're claiming he's providing too little humanitarian aid. You know, when you're in the, in the, in the crosshairs, you can do nothing right. And right now, Bibi's in a situation with many Israelis where he can do nothing right. Um, but he can he can redeem his legacy if he wins this war. And that's why I think um, uh, uh, maybe Tony Blinken isn't very happy and Jake Sullivan are not very happy with Bibi today uh, because they're not helping. They're not helping America or, or this administration do everything it wants. But uh, I think in the end, if Israel does manage to defeat Hamas totally, completely, and forever, the happiest people will be the civilians in Gaza. Next will be the Arab countries around, the Saudis and the Emirates, and the United States as well. So this is an area where, where Bibi has to be Churchillian and has to really stand up to the pressure and say, no, it's, it's, I'm the prime minister of Israel. It's a sovereign country. We love the United States. We appreciate getting weapons. And we hope you'll continue to send weapons, but we have to make the decisions how many of our soldiers to sacrifice. Just the other day, Israel uh, allowed nine of its, ten of its soldiers to die instead of indiscriminately bombing. They could have done the same thing from the air, and that might have killed more civilians. Instead, they send the soldiers in and ten of them died. And then even more recently, uh, several hostages were killed because Israel is going on the ground and doing it. Uh, retail instead of wholesale, sacrificing their own soldiers to save the lives of civilians. That's not genocide. That's decent. I, I only have one more question. You can answer it with one word if you want, but I have to ask you this because you're one of the few liberals who still talks to me. If it turns out to be another Biden-Trump election, who do you vote for? It, it, I, I don't think at the moment uh, that I'm prepared to vote for Trump. I think it would be a much harder case for me if it were um, uh, a Nikki Haley hmm. versus Biden, 
Um, uh, and it depends on Biden's health. And, you know, Biden uh, is a kid. He's four years younger than I am. I'm 85 <laughs> and I'm doing pretty well. I'm hoping Biden has the strength to continue. Um, I think a lot of Americans will also say, who's coming next? If we vote for Biden, does that mean that uh, Kamala Harris becomes the next president, either because Biden doesn't survive for four years or because she's the designated nominee? And if there's a choice between Kamala Harris and Nikki Haley, if Trump is smart enough to pick Haley as his vice president, I think there'll be a lot of votes uh, for the vice presidency, which almost never happens in American elections, but it might happen this time. Alan Dershowitz, the author of uh, The War Against the Jews. Thank you very much, Alan. It's good to see you, and I appreciate the time. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me on. I hope everybody buys my book and reads it. All the, all the uh, money from it goes to Hatzalah, an organization in Israel that rescues people, Arabs, Jews, Christians alike. So please buy it, and that, that will make you ha- give a contribution to a wonderful Israeli organization. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. Thank you for joining me for the interview. I hope you had a Merry Christmas and the Friday Andrew Clavin show will be back this very Friday. I hope you'll be there because I'll be there and I'll miss you if you're not.